Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good to see all of you. I feel like um, we could have just made that the last song and been dismissed. I think it's been a phenomenal service um, already, and um, I'm going to try to keep this short and sweet. <laughs> we'll see how I do. <laughs> no, 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 that wasn't a slam on Steve, but um, that was not even a wink towards that. But, uh, but uh, I'm just going to dive right in, guys. We're going to talk about being secure in Christ. And as I was preparing this message, I came up with so much stuff. I'm like, this is going to be part one. So assuming I don't mess this up too badly, I'm hoping to at some point preach part two. Okay. We'll see if Mike lets me after this. But, um, but uh, it's good to feel secure, isn't it? Have you ever felt insecure? Yeah, we've all felt insecure. Does anyone feel insecure right now? If you feel, in fact, if you feel insecure right now, please stand up. I'm just kidding. That's very cruel. So insecurity is not a joke, right? You know, the dictionary definition of insecure, not confident or assured, uncertain and anxious. No one wants to go through life that way. Very much in contrast with secure, right? Feeling safe, stable, free from fear or anxiety. You know, and I, I have come to think of myself through my personal rose-colored glasses that I'm a fairly secure person. Yet there have been times somewhat recently when I've realized, you know, my security at times is hanging by a thread. Uh, in May, I had a heart attack. That shook up my security. That wasn't that enjoyable. Despite what they tell you about heart attacks, that wasn't that enjoyable. <laughs> but that shook me a little bit. But on a little bit of a lighter note, I had, a, had, a, had something happen uh, a few months ago. And uh, we were um, taken to a little cabin in Willsboro, New York, by some friends of ours on our block. And uh, wonderful friends of ours, and they're like, we've never taken you to our cabin. It's right across the other the, the lake uh, on the other side of Lake Champlain, um, and uh, it'll be beautiful. We're going to do a little kayaking, and we said, wow, that sounds amazing. And so that's the picture of the evening or evening in Willsboro. It was absolutely spectacular. That's the that's the little dock, and that's what I could. That, that's an accurate title, but a more accurate title for this picture would be this. Our friends just tried to kill us. Because what happened was, you know, Sue and I, when we moved to, to, to Burlington three years ago, we decided to buy some kayaks because we felt like we'd get, be kicked out of the state if we didn't own kayaks. And uh, we loved kayaks. We got some recreational kayaks. And they're, if you know anything about the recreational kayaks, they're pretty short and they're pretty wide. In fact, the ones we have, if they're any shorter or any wider, they'd be more like inner tubes. And that's just my speed. That's my speed. And we go to very shallow places, right? We go to the La Platte, slow-moving part of the river. Uh, we went to our friends, the Clauses, put us in Lake Champlain, into sea kayaks. Now, I didn't even know there were different kinds of kayaks. 
Flatlander, right here. I'm so non-outdoorsy. But, so, we get in these sea kayaks that are long and thin. And what that means is they go faster. But it also means they tip way easier. And I want to tell you something. So, and, and we're in, now we're in Lake Champlain, not the La Platte River. I did a little quick research on Lake Champlain. The average depth of Lake Champlain is 64 feet. At its deepest, it's 400 feet deep, which is about 396 feet deeper than the depth of the La Platte River where we would typically go kayaking, right? If you fall out of your kayak in the La Platte River, you just walk your kayak to the shore and get back in. Not so much in Lake Champlain. Not only that, in this sea kayak, he's like, you know, it's a little non-intuitive. If you were to tip this thing, you can't just push yourself out. And he gave me a little tutorial real quick on how to get your extricate your legs out. And I'm like, I know I'm wearing a life jacket. I just do not want to tip this thing. Of course, so we're going like a mile around this peninsula in Lake Champlain. And every little wave... I did not enjoy a single second of that journey. And what's interesting, you know, when you're insecure, when you just, you're fearing for your life, essentially, you're not yourself. I wasn't able to just make, you know, happy little banter with our good friends who took us to this beautiful location. When you're insecure, it's hard to focus on anything else. You're consumed with yourself. You can't be at your best. And you know, that's, that's physical insecurity. But I think when we think of insecurity, and I've suffered from all of these types of insecurity at various times in my life, there's spiritual insecurity. Does God really love me? Does He really forgive me? Am I a good enough Christian? I remember the first time I ever prayed in church as a young Christian. It was to close the closed the service and I was super nervous and I prayed said amen church broke up and uh, a young uh, woman a sister in the church came up to me and said hey how's it going I said good hey um, how was that prayer and she was like "Um, I don't think you're supposed to ask me that that was to God and I was like oh great well, I was feeling insecure spiritually about my prayer. Now I'm feeling insecure that I'm such a derelict that I asked how my prayer was. Almost as if it was a performance. But I was spiritually insecure. You know, there's emotional insecurity. Does anyone really like me? Can everyone see through me? Am I a fake? Everyone's better looking. They're doing better in their lives. Everyone's judging me. It was interesting, I was in Chicago a few months ago and hung out with some old high school friends who I hadn't hung out with in some time. And uh, I was talking to one of my buddies who, in my mind, was the absolute epitome of smooth in high school. Do you ever have any friends like that? Or maybe you're like that. I wasn't like that. In my mind, he had it all figured out. There was no situation that he didn't handle. 
he was just calm and cool. And I was like, I was like, Elliot, how are you so? How did you just have it all together in high school? He's like, what? And I started asking him about how he felt, and we started discussing our insecurities in high school. He's like, I was a mass of insecurity. I didn't have anything figured out. And that's what it felt like to be inside him. On the outside, he's like, is it the picture of a swan, right, that's just gliding gracefully on the surface, but below the surface paddling frantically? You know, some people mask it better than others, right? But we all deal with insecurity at times. And it's a horrible place to live. But the exciting thing is that's not how God wants us to be. Amen? He wants us to be secure. And I want you to think about that for a moment. God wants you to be secure. Think about that. God loves you and wants you to be secure. If you're a parent, what do you want for your kids? You do not want them constantly thinking about what other people are thinking about them. You don't want them thinking, and we all go through that. But as a parent, you you desperately want your kids to be secure. Why? Because you love them. And you know, I love you so much. If you could only get inside my head and my heart, you'd know how much I love you. And there's nothing you could do to get outside of my love. But it kills you when your kid is like, I don't feel like you love me. It's the same way God is saying, I want you to be secure. I adore you. Trust me in this. I adore you. Look in Romans 8. Actually, you don't have to turn there. I've got it right here on the screen for us. I think this is one of the greatest passages about spiritual security in the Bible. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's go down the quick list from this scripture of the things that God knocks down as far as potential insecurities for us. Someone or something is against us. Verse 31, God is for us. Why should we care who or what is against us if God is for us? 
You don't have enough of something? Yeah, but God says He's going to give us all things. You feel judged or condemned? God is saying, who's condemning you? No one. It is I who justify. You don't have to worry about feeling condemned. I do not condemn you. You ever feel like you're not heard by God? Verse 34, Jesus himself is interceding for us. You ever feel like you've been in trouble, had hardship, ever had persecution? It goes on famine, nakedness, danger, sword. The Bible says we are actually more than conquerors through him who loved us. How about death itself? That's the one thing that will separate us from everything we love on this earth, right? Yet God says, actually, even death itself can't separate you from from me. It's powerful to think about that we really have no reason to be insecure. And what you notice in this scripture is that God does not promise that these difficulties will not happen to us. Don't you wish that was the promise? I do. Yeah. I don't I don't want to think that I could possibly be hungry or in danger or fear for my life to the point where I feel like I'm as a sheep going to the slaughter. I think if I was feeling in danger consistently for my life as a sheep going to the slaughter, I'd struggle with God, have you abandoned me? Yet, this scripture clearly says, you are more than conquerors. Even if you're going through all of that, Jesus was a man of sorrows. Yet, God never abandoned him. He had a perfect relationship with God. Because bad things happen to us doesn't mean we're cursed. Everything happens in life, I believe, to reveal where we are getting our security. God allows things to happen to us and where we get our value. Something that I'm going to do this afternoon, if I get the time, is pop over to Buffalo Wild Wings and watch the Chicago Bears play the Oakland Raiders in London, England. And I bring that up just because I'm a Bears fan. So, No, I'm just kidding. There's a reason I bring that up. It's interesting, in pro sports... There's a very public and tangible value assigned to every athlete. Athletes are paid exorbitant fees. And they get very discontent as soon as the next athlete at their position gets paid a more exorbitant fee, right? And the Bears happen to have a guy named Khalil Mack who two years ago was made the highest paid defender in NFL history. They paid $141 million for him. It included $90 million in guaranteed money. He got $60 million for signing his name to that contract. I could live on half of that. I don't know about you guys. (laughs) The Bears gave up Four draft picks, two first-rounders, a third-rounder, and a sixth-rounder, in addition to that $141 million. Do you think Khalil felt valued when he signed that contract? I would hope so. 
I would hope so. You know, you feel like, you know, when he, when he gets that $60 million influx into his checking account, he's like, ah, I just don't know if I mean that much to this team. <laughs> no, he was bought at an incredible price. You know where I'm going with this. How much did God pay for you? How much did God spend for you? God didn't spare His one and only Son for you. The Lord Jesus Himself freely gave up His life to have a relationship with you, to make you secure in Him the rest of your life and into eternity. You are irreplaceable and uniquely and personally adored by God. To the point that he paid the ultimate price. So that you could be secure in him. You are bought at a great price. You know, God wants us to be secure in him even when sometimes we get an answer of no. Anyone like being told no? No. (laughs) But an incredible example of Jesus' security and his relationship with the Father is a passage many of us know very well. In Matthew 26, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples, found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I think this is an incredibly powerful example of Jesus' security in his relationship with God. Why? What was Jesus sent to earth for? To save all mankind? To go to the cross? Yet he felt comfortable enough to ask God, is there any other way we could knock this out? Could, is there any other way other than going to the cross that I could fulfill my destiny. And he asked, think about what it means if the Son of God, who has the most perfect relationship in the history of anyone who's ever walked the planet, goes back to his father three times and asks. And what, what, what answer did he get? No. Jesus was told no. How do we react when God tells us no? How Jesus reacted was, rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. He got up with purpose and met God's plan for him. 
It's a powerful example of Jesus' security in his relationship with God. He said, okay, God gave me an answer. He said, no, and now I'm going to fully embrace what God has planned for me, even though it's not what I wanted. He was secure enough to embrace the answer he didn't want. And I think there's something even more to this. The rest of the story comes before this story. Check this out. Verse 31. Then This is right before they go to the garden. It says, they're, they're at the Last Supper, and it says, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. What did it take for Jesus in his greatest hour of need, where his soul was overwhelmed to the point of death, to rely on the three friends he had just a little while earlier that night saying, you guys are all going to betray me. Talk about security in God. He knew his friends were going to leave him, and yet he brought those three friends who he just said, you guys are leaving me. He said, stay and keep watch with me. I think he forgave them even before they betrayed him. And then he forgave them after they betrayed him. But how do we deal with friends who aren't there for us? How do we deal with friends who forsake us. Do we reinstate them? That's what Jesus did with Peter. That's what Jesus did with all the, the disciples, right? They all abandoned him. And that's what security in God allows us to do. If we have our security in God, it allows us to love and even depend on seriously flawed and sinful people. We want to be dependable. I I don't want someone to abandon me and just, have you ever abandoned someone? (laughs) Have you ever forsaken one? Have Have you ever not been there for someone? Have you ever totally blown it with someone in a relationship? I have. That's part of what marriage is about too. It's forgiving. Sue has forgiven me for 30 years whenever I've needed it. And I've needed it a lot. But that's the nature. Sue's security is in God. And she knows, eh, yeah, my husband is a knucklehead sometimes. Part of what gives her security is that my security is in God. If we all have our security in God... We'll be secure with one another. Amen. We'll be able to give our hearts to one another. And finally, we're going to end here. And I'm about to show you a clip from a TV show that I am not endorsing. <laughs> However, I think it's going to make my point. Uh, God wants us to be secure enough to prod him or to pester him or to persevere with him. Peter Peter Leap loves this clip. Louis, Louis, Louis. 
secure in our relationship with Him. God actually wants us to pester Him. To go, go to Him and, and lay our requests before Him. Luke 18, verse 18 says, Then Jesus told them a parable to show them they should always pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. There was also a widow in that city who kept coming to Him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but later on he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor have regard for people, yet because this widow keeps on bothering me, I will give her justice. Or in the end she will wear me out by her unending pleas. And the Lord said, listen to what the unrighteous judge says. Won't God give justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long to help them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Are we secure enough not to let it drop with God? To keep coming back to him? And trusting that He is listening to us. And He wants to answer our prayers. Look at this other example that Jesus gives. Luke 11, verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. This would work with me because I'm just getting started at midnight. But for most of you, that would be annoying. Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up. And give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Are we secure enough to be shamelessly audacious with God? I want t-shirts. We talked about this in our family group. I want t-shirts. Shamelessly audacious. Are we secure enough not to give up on our prayers. To ask audacious requests of God. He wants that from us. He wants us. You know, what's interesting, and so I'm like, okay, if God wants us to be shamelessly audacious, why doesn't He just give us what we want all the time then? And as parents, even if we could give our kids every single thing they asked for, we wouldn't, right? Why? Because it wouldn't be healthy for them or their character. God knows what we need, when we need it, but we got to be secure enough to persevere, right? What, it, what that does, what persevering does is 
It says in James 1, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's not give up easily on our prayers. God wants us to pester Him. <laughs> he wants us to... Buy, and, and God is not unrighteous or a cranky parent. But He wants us to keep coming to Him. And I'm going to finish with this little, this little clip. Some of you may have seen this on YouTube. Um, but it, it's gone viral. It's a, a young man at a theme park in China crossing a thousand foot sky bridge there's this theme park in China that's all about thrills and chills and you can bungee jump and stuff and this particular bridge keep this in mind it's it's a thousand feet up than I would have. You know, I want to end with this. Don't be fooled. This gentleman thought he was completely secure, right? He crossed this sky bridge with complete confidence. The guy working there was like, yep, go ahead. You're all set. You're all hooked up. Whoop, whoop, whoop. The thing was not on him. In fact, they closed that part of the theme park down. After this went viral. At first the theme park said we did that as a promo. It was all a joke. And uh, it clearly wasn't. It turned out not to be and they closed it down. But this, young, this man had a completely unfounded confidence in that harness. Right? It could have been ca- catastrophic. And... You know, in life there are people who, can, who, who, who carry themselves with extreme confidence. And sometimes that's a little bit of an act. You know, there's a lot of stuff churning inside. But I also believe there are plenty of people who are genuinely confident and secure. But their confidence isn't in God. And they're living life and they're loving life and everything seems groovy and they roll with the they roll with the punches like a champ. But here's what the Bible says that confidence is like. Such is the destiny of all who forget God, so perishes the hope of the godless. What they trust in is fragile, what they rely on is a spider's web. They lean on the web, but it gives way. They cling to it, but it does not hold. You ever seen one of those huge cobwebs like at a haunted house? You know, they're so thick, it almost looks like they're a wall. You ever tried leaning on one? It's not going to hold you up. You don't want to lean your soul on a cobweb. You don't want to cross a thousand foot drop with a detached harness. 
true security only comes from knowing and trusting in God. Amen? Let's put our security in God. Let's say a prayer and we'll be dismissed.